0: that was the Smiths with a track titled Big Mouth Strikes Again. This is David Eastall. This is the C-86 Show. Well, welcome once again to another thrilling ride of life, as I'll be bringing you songs you know, some you don't. And some you should. Always playing the finest in indie pop. This week's special guest is going to be Ted Chipperton. Because I spoke to him a few weeks, months ago to find out more about life, love, poetry and all that kind of groovy stuff. So I've got that interview that I'll break up into about four or five easy to digest little segments. But to get the party rolling, I think we'll play your favourite and mine. Yes, this is Rockin' with Rita. <laughs>
1: Rockin' with Donna, head to toe Rocking with Rita, you sure can't beat her, oh no Oh no Rocking with Ron Collins, head to toe. Rockin' with Maria, head to toe. with Fuzzbots, head ah. with the tank you can't beat rockin' with the tank has that rockin' now tank Rip it tight Charlie Feathers Head to toe Rocking with Jerry Lee You sure can't beat Rocking with
2: Jerry Lee, you know Oh Oh no no. But from your head to your toe
1: Rocking with Howard Head to toe Rocking with Robert Head to toe Rocking with Edward Head to toe Rocking with Rita You sure can't beat her
0: indeed chartbound sounds that was the vindaloo summer special starring the nightingale's ted Chippington. we've got a first box and we're going to use it with a track rocking with rita head to toe that came out in 1986 on the vindaloo record label hello this is david Eastall. this is the c86 year a fine year for music indeed if you want to contact me Contact me. We always love your messages. You can via Facebook, Twitter. Just go to at C86show. I will be there. And also I've archived all these shows that I've done for the last two and a half years. So you can find them on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean and also Mixcloud. Just go to at C86show or C86show. It will be there. It will change your life and it will be very groovy. Anyway, this week's special guest, as you probably gather, is going to be Ted Chibington because I spoke to him a few weeks, months ago to find out about everything you ever wanted to know but were afraid to ask. So I've got that interview that I'll break up into about three easy to digest little segments. But before any more quality chat, I think we should have another track by Ted. This is... Atmosphere. Hmm, I wonder if it will be Joy Division. I will have to wait and see.
1: Atmosphere. I like a party with a good atmosphere, so let me take you there. You and I'll be dancing in the cool night air. Oh what an atmosphere I love a party with a good atmosphere. So let me take you there again. Be dancing in the cool night air again. here all together, everybody's hand in hand, and we can make it last forever, when you're dancing with the gang, you've got your favourite records, and Frankie's got his band, oh no, let it show, oh no, let it go. atmosphere I'll have a party with a good atmosphere mmm music everywhere and soon we'll be dancing in the cooler
0: Nothing wrong with that. That is Ted Chippington and the track titled Atmosphere. This is David Eastall. This is the C86 show and this is going to be the first part of my interview with Ted where I'd been babbling like some demented fan about life and all that kind of stuff. And then began by asking him a little bit about his early years because frankly I don't know a huge amount about Ted Chubington so I thought let's go back to those teen years and this was Ted's reply Ted, take it away
3: I was, uh, well, a music fan so I don't know, when I first started going to gigs when I was sort of late 13 14 year old Um, I used to live in a place called Stafford which had this venue called the
0: Bingley Hall. I don't know if that ring, you know what I'm talking about. No.
3: (laughs) No? All right, well, it was uh, sort of out of town in an old, like a sort of cattle market-type big barn sort of thing. And they had, like, all, every group would play there, you know, like Queen, Pink Floyd, Yes, the... uh, Hundreds of them, you know, all the main acts that were touring. So, I been a little bit of a scallywag, I used to go up there in the afternoon and sort of somehow either help get the gear in or get in through somewhere and sort of hide behind things. And so, I just that's sort of what I did as a yes. kid. Just generally go
2: to gigs and and I've sort of realised that. Um,
3: if you did turn up early and you know sort of offered to help most groups were pretty good about it you know so that
2: became the thing I did really So, so I've seen nearly well you know name me a group and I'll probably
3: have seen them sort of thing and then obviously then the sort of punk rock thing started off so there was a little club in the town where nearly every every Monday night there was a sort of punk rock night. So I've seen all of those groups as well cool. <coughs> that came through town. And just generally, that's what I did. And then I liked, you know, all varying sorts of music. I wasn't like a punk rocker or a, any particular type, <coughs> So, that's, you know,
0: very open minded
2: on everything yes, because
0: so I, I was going to say because because you 're a couple of years older than I me because i 'm sort of born in sixty four and um i noticed that on wikipedia and um, and so when, when I was sort of growing up, I suppose I was quite influenced by my older brother, who was really into the prog rock period of. Yes, and Genesis, oh, right. and, and even the sort of solo uh, work of people like you know, Rick Wakeman, which I seem to, to know quite well, mixed with a bit of Deep Purple and Black Sabbath. So the musical landscape of that time, you must have been kind of tickling away with both those, that kind of music and also those kind of glam rock and pub bands as well from, from sort of that kind of 70s period onwards. Yeah,
3: well, what, did you say that I was 64?
0: No, no, I'm 64. I said I'm a few years old. Oh, you are. I'm a few years younger than you. Oh,
3: I see, you were born. Yes. 64.
0: I was born in 64.
3: Right, I get you. Right. Well, I was only born in 62, so there wasn't that much difference. Mm, No. But, uh, yeah, I don't know, I just got into, yeah, when I first got into music, it's the old cliche, really, it's probably um, Starman for David Bowie on... Top of the Pops. So I think that was 1971, was it? Yes, then? it was around then. I was about nine. And that was sort of like, well, you know, and then of course you look into things a bit more and you discover other groups through more popular groups. And I had ended up being a, sort of a bit of a gong fan. <laughs> To be honest, that was like one of my favorite groups when I was a little teenager. Yes. Um, I'd, so, I mean, I've heard all those Deep Purple and the uh, Yes and Rick Wakeman and all that. And to be honest, after like one or two hearings, I didn't find it that interesting. So I was more keen to sort of look, you know, a bit further afield sort of thing. So for instance, um, there might be a name like Robert Wyatt mentioned on an LP, and you think, oh, I'll check that bloke out, you know, because he was in a group called Soft Machine with one of the blokes out of Gong, you know, so there was all that. So then you sort of looked into all that and all various things, and
2: then the sort of psychedelic, like early Pink Floyd. Yes. And then I get into sort of Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention, their first couple of records, which
3: came out in the like, mid-60s, but I
2: didn't hear until 73-ish. Yes.
3: And that sort of, I got into sort of more avant-garde type music then, you know, so sort of. anything that was a bit just different from the, the run-of-the-mill sort of rock groups, you know, it didn't matter what sort of music it was, if it was sort of slightly... You know, on the outside of of normality, I'd sort of be keen to listen
0: to it you know yes, and when when you know I could... that suppose... that
3: sort of influence my act in a way to be like this character is not quite uh you know like the appearance of being super normal but with undercurrents of being a bit weird, on you know, at the same time, sort of thing, you know. Without, I don't really like talking about myself like that, but do you, do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Right. And that's going to be the first part of my interview with the legendary Ted Chippington. Hi, this is David Eastall, and this is going to be another song by Ted. This is the Wanderer. You knew I was going to play that, didn't you? <laughs>
1: Well, I'm the type of guy who likes to settle down Where pretty girls are, you know, I'm not around I see them in the paper, to me they're all the same birds and discos, well, now that's not my scene I'm not the wanderer, I'm not the wanderer Not too keen on roaming around, 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 around Well, there's the table on my left and the television to the right My wife is the lady that I'll be with tonight And when she asks me if I'm in fatigue I say yes please, you know, where else would I be? I'm not the wanderer, I'm not the wanderer No wonder about you teenagers from time to time though On Tuesdays I go to town I go through life mainly on the bus, you know and shop around And with my two bags of bargains i better get myself back home Cos I'm the type of guy Who likes to stay at home I'm always in one place And that's my front room But every now and again On a very special occasion Me and the wife hop right onto that nearest bus And have ourselves a night on the town I'm not the wanderer though I'm not the wanderer I'm Not sure why though See you rocking now. I'm the wanderer. No, no, I'm not, I'm not the wanderer. i sure you got the picture. I think I'm to bed now anyway.
0: Nothing wrong with that. That is Ted. And the track titled The Wanderer. This is going to be the second part of my interview with Ted, where I'd been mentioning and talking about the world of comedians like, um, I suppose, Richard Pryor, Lenny Bruce, and also the fall and rise of Reginald Perrin. And this was Ted's response. Ted, take it away. Oh, yeah,
3: when, well, the, when I was a kid, this is one thing that my dad did. Like, so, when was Monty Python on 1969, 1970? Yes. Well, my dad would let me. I like my mum worked shifts at the hospital, so if she was on a night shift, I'd be able to just stay up and watch Monty Python. Or if she was on a morning shift, she'd be in bed, so I'd have to creep down when she went to bed. So that was, you know, one of the first things I remember. Really, is in comedy terms. Yes. But again, through through having sort of Monty Python records and then going to the record library, that I did sort of find out about um, Lenny Bruce and sort of got his records out as well. No, and I was a pretty young age. I don't think anyone else in my class really had a sort of clue about any <laughs>
2: of <or> that kind <laughs> of thing. You know.
0: I don't know. Yeah, oh, I don't know wow. how I sort of became curious with people like Lord Butley and Lenny Bruce and Richard Pryor. They sort of, I think I must have read somewhere somebody you know cool like David Bowie might have mentioned them, and I thought, oh, I, yeah, m- yeah, I must go and yeah, cool. I must go and listen to that, and then read Jack Kerouac's On the Road, just just so that I hopefully will be a much more interesting person than I felt I was. But
3: when you look back now, they're fairly dull, aren't they? Really?
0: Yes, it would be hard to be bothered. Really to <laughs> it would be hard yeah. to be bothered to play them and. And bizarrely I still have them in a pile next to me and not and they're in the I'm not sure what to do with them. I might put them on eBay but that's going to be a lot of effort so I'll probably just put them to the charity shop because you know I don't I wouldn't sit down and particularly listen to the Lenny Bruce album now and even Richard Pryor and it's probably because I listen to it so much that, you know, immediately think, oh, actually, I know what what's you know what's going to happen. Because I remember when Channel 4 appeared, yeah. Channel 4 put on some really interesting films. There was the Mike Lee film, Meantime, and there was a live uh, Richard Pryor sort of um, stand-up show, which we all recorded and then sort of watched continuously because I had never seen anything like it before. So that early period of the 80s where things were starting to sort of come out And into the mainstream. Well,
3: it's weird. I mean, I watched, uh, there was a Richard Pryor programme on recently. And I think the blokes was absolutely brilliant, you know. Just one of the funniest people I've ever heard. Yes. And, um, you know, he was just way ahead of his time.
0: It was quite extraordinary. Look
3: at what happened afterwards. Yeah. But then, you know, it's it's all, I don't know if it's drugs or what. You know that makes a difference. He, he, I think, what the difference is, he just didn't care. You know, and I think that's the secret. You've got to do what you want to do without um,
2: really caring what anyone else thinks about it. You know,
0: <laughs> this is true.
3: Do so, your own thing, so.
0: so, so as,
3: but weirdly enough, I don't know if this is of any sort of significance, but um, the first live act. I went to see was um, Norman Wisdom and I can't remember how old it was but I was a massive Norman Wisdom fan and he was on at this theatre in Coventry and there was a sort of coach trip from our little town so there was a whole load of us went and his support act was Freddie Starr who of course no one knew anything about him at all And it was just brilliant, you know. I can remember loads of it, even to this day. It was just one of the funniest nights out I've ever had, you
2: know. Yes.
3: And so I don't know if that, in some way, put the bug in me. to, uh, Because, you know, I probably when I was like all the music, I probably wanted to be in a group, you know, that kind of thing. But I never thought of being a... Stand-up or commentator type character <laughs> till I was, God, no,
2: you know, sort of 18, nineteen, something like that. Yes. And that was just a fluke because uh,
3: a friend of mine's friend of mine were, was in a group and they were doing a few gigs and I would just went along to help out, you know, sort of set the stuff up and what have you. And just one day there was no one in the audience at all. So I decided to do, a, just started talking with the intention of making it appear there was something going on inside this pub and people might come in to see what was going on. Uh, and obviously that never happened. And, um, but all my mates thought it was a right good laugh, so I, that's why I sort of carried on doing it, really. <laughs> so it all came from a, a fluke. You know, there was no intention I didn't set out to be this character it just happened and then evolved sort of thing
0: you know? yeah because I've, I've interviewed a few comedians and um, with kind of mixed success and kind of you know interest because cause a few of them mentioned well you know when they started because I often think God how do you just start in that kind of world because it's not like you can hide behind your bass guitar at the back of the stage looking slightly enigmatic while well, thinking well that's
3: where the, you shouldn't
0: and that's where you shouldn't care less, this is true. But, but they, they said that, you know, you start with just a very short kind of little sketch, you know, for five or ten minutes, five minutes probably, it seems like a long time. And then you, and then you just kind of build that up, you know, in those early days, because I just wanted how the mechanics, because you can't just suddenly say, right, we'll just do Johnny Be Good, or we can't just go and do somebody else's sketch, because that would be like the, the audience would just turn on you, I guess. So how did your first few kind of moments um, sort of develop?
3: Well, there was no, there was no comedy clubs at all then. You know, there was nothing like it. So, basically, all I did, was, like I said, I started off. My first few gigs was with my friends' group in little venues, and then I sort of around the Midlands. sort of got to know uh, Robert Lloyd, so that I would then go and do gigs with the Nightingales, and also a group called Here and Now, who were sort of gong offshoot sort of anarchist hippie type group, and I did gigs with them, so between the nightingales and here and now, I was doing maybe up to eighty to a hundred gigs a year, mainly in student unions and and what well, you know them sort of little nightclubs and things like that yeah. so it was it was always in a music audience you know there wasn't people who'd come to watch some comedy you know so it's a completely completely different to i imagine how things are now if you wanted to start out you'd have to go to all these comedy clubs and
0: and uh well god knows yes
3: sounds dreadful to me but uh,
0: (laughs) well it's interesting because because i've interviewed a huge amount of bands for this show um And I didn't realise there were quite so many that happened in the 80s, so I'm nearly up to 200. And I didn't realise the kind of narrative that most of the bands had, which was kind of a five-year, they'd have two years getting together... If John Peel gave them a play, that that often would then sort of give them that boost, and then they would be able to get a John Peel yeah. session. And there was a kind of a network around the whole country of these little kind of indie club kind of gigs that, yeah, you know, yeah. that that were happening. So you know, people would just get in their little van and drive across the other side of the country, you know, play the gig, come back, you know, until they you know, decided that they could do a tour rather than just kind of these one-offs. And then the first album would happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah thing things were quite so John Peel was this fantastic gatekeeper that obviously we didn't really appreciate and all these oh, kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. and and all these little that, that. clubs were were sort of like helped feed that kind of you know Scene and that current creative period, so so people did have that opportunity, not just to be played in front of their friends, family, and anybody else. They could emotionally blackmail to see them. They were played in front of strangers, so so that was good. And also during during the eighties, you know, it was a very angsty period, and we were all getting very tense and more, you know, introspective and angsty and all that kind of exciting stuff. So there was a lot of kind of ranty poets that used to sort of get in get in the act as well, didn't they? Like Attila the Stockbroker. So. Did you Were you sort of aware of that, you must have been aware of that kind of scene that was going on as well, the the sort of the ranty political poet at some benefit gig?
3: Yeah, yeah, but I'm, um, I don't know, politics is, I don't know, it's, well, look at the state of the place we're in now, you know, that uh, sums it all up really, doesn't it? But, no, I never, I'm more of an anarchist than... The, anything else so you know certain uh, I don't know I just like to do my own thing I didn't want to be part of any anything or you know I didn't even particularly call myself a comedian anyway that was that was more of a joke in itself that was so you know but yeah I knew Attila well still do you know whenever he's he's in Torquay I'll go and see him sort of yeah there was yeah quite a few well yes well as well who's dead now
0: yes well Um, this is one of those things and did you I mean because obviously you know with Robert Lloyd from the Nightingales he started Vindaloo Records so did you feel part of that kind of like Motown, part of the stable of people on Vindaloo. Because I I I interviewed Robert, and he said that the problem he had with the band was that he had to sort of concentrate on the label because suddenly they had, you know, we've got Fuzzbox and then and all the other bits that go with the admin of running the record label, which I suppose he hadn't planned. So, did that feel kind of like a a sort of an obvious kind of narrative to to go onto that label? Yeah, well, I mean,
3: the label itself wasn't it was. Quite an avant-garde, some of the stuff that Rob had put out, you know, it was um, not exactly easy listening, shall we say, you know. So Fuzzbox was a bit of a sort of flash in the pan, really, and just sort of took off from, ba- well, basically from nowhere, you know. So I don't think they'd hardly done any gigs, and certainly weren't planning on putting a record out until Rob suggested they do it, you know, so... I mean, that was, um, yeah, a bit of a complete one-off the old Fuzzbox situation, you know. Yes. But it did. They took they took me on tour to America with them, so, you know, that was quite a, uh, a strange experience.
0: And that is going to be the second part of my interview with Ted Chippington, talking about life in those early years with the Vindaloo records and Robert Lloyd. But anyway, this is going to be another song by one and only legendary Ted Shippington. I mean, if you like Ted, fill your boots. you in radio gold today. And if you don't, then you should. So anyway, this is going to be She Loves You.
1: You said you've lost your love. I saw her yesterday It's you she's thinking of And she told me what to say I said she loves you And you know that can't be bad I said she loves you And you know that can't really be bad No Oh, What's that?
2: When you see Ringo, will you
0: tell him I don't half love him?
1: OK, then, mate.
0: I nearly went mad, you know.
1: Well, it's a good job you didn't with all this unemployment going on.
2: Yeah,
1: I know. OK, leave it with me.
2: Thanks very much, Ted. You're a good mate, you are.
1: She said you hurt her so. She almost lost her mind. Now she said she knows you're not the hurting kind. I said she loves you, and you know that can't be bad. I said she loves you, and you know that can't really be bad. No.
0: Go, Ted Chippington, in fine voice with "She Loves You." This is going to be the third part of my interview with Ted. When I've been talking, well, he just mentioned going on tour to America. with With we've, we've got a fuzz box, and um, I just mentioned how that tour had been and um, had it been a very big tour. And this was Ted's answer. Ted, what was the answer? Well,
3: it just mainly all the basically sort of all the main all the main cities like the west coast and the sort of northeastern chunk sort of thing you know didn't go down south no but well, they did go to hawaii but they couldn't afford to take me that far so i <laughs> hung out in la instead but um yeah it must have been 20 gigs you know sort of boston philadelphia blah 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 you know
0: the usual the no, the, the, yeah. the circuit that's excellent and they probably gave you lots of tips on sort of eye makeup and kind of mascara. Oh yeah,
3: yeah, I really was interested
2: in that one.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and did you? And can you remember much about the classic collaboration of Rockin' with Rita? Um, oh, I
3: can't think. I presume it had something to do with Warner Brothers. They. Oh, the other thing we did that tour didn't we and at the end of the night we'd all get on stage and do you know obviously it's one of my songs so that I used to do anyway you know in my own set but I think just have you know just sort of maybe oh we should do that at the end of the night with everyone you know so the nightingales would play the fuzzbugs would come on Um, and then I presume some smart Alec sort of thought, oh, we could make a summer hit out of that. So it's got Warner Brothers written all over it, I think.
0: Yes, which is always They were out to cash in on whatever they
3: could as soon as possible. Then, of course, nothing happened. Um, They took Fuzzbox on, carried on, and uh, me and the girls were left trailing behind sort of thing
0: flailing but
3: not that i'm bitter (laughs) (laughs) no you know it's just typical record companies are not particularly interested in you you know at the time when they released well this is the weird thing about what happened is um right obviously john peel deadly important to all these acts like you say but um that radio one dj steve wright in the afternoon He's the sort of wacky character, you know. Likes to think of himself as the, the wacky guy. Well, he picked up on one of the tracks that Peel played, and just played it every day for weeks, you know. And I thought it was terrible, but anyway. The song, it was, it was just a sort of, I don't know, a sort of private joke to myself, really. And uh, it just, anyway, got loads of airplay, and Warner Brothers sort of offered to sort of release it as a single because it was just a track on the LP. So me and Rob went to the meets. Well, in fact, it was, um, what's his name? The bloke out of KLF.
0: Oh, Bill Drummond.
3: Yeah, he was the one in, you know, he must have had his sort of little department in Warner Brothers. So it was basically, went to London, went for a curry,
2: agreed on a couple of quid, and uh, literally
3: that afternoon, we went to the office. He got his sister, I think, to quickly draw a cartoon sketch of me. And within days, there was this record in the shops, you know, which um, I think it got to about number 34 or something like that. Didn't quite, that was in the days when it was the top 30, not the top 40. Mm. So, uh, a little anecdote to do with that, there was this programme at the time, I don't know if you remember this, called That's My Dog, presented by a bloke called Derek Hobson, who used to do New Faces and Midlands Telly. And it was basically, they'd have a dog, you know, it was sort of ITV mid-afternoon programme, and you'd have this sort of dog, and you'd have to guess who its celebrity owner was. And... uh, (laughs) I met Derek Hobson once. We did this sort of chat show, a live chat show, in um, Raymond's Review Bar, and my guests were this. I insisted on having Derek Hobson from That's My Dog, and Mark Smith, Keith Allen, were we sort of three main guests. But it was just an ad lib sort of chat show, and uh, I struck a deal with. Derek Hobson, that if She Loves You got in the top 30, I could be a celebrity, you know, owner. <laughs> my dog could, would come on the telly and people would have to guess who I was. So unfortunately, it didn't get in the top 30. Because oh. that would have definitely been the highlight of my career, that would well, you know, But it, it never
0: happened. It was so close. And it does sound like yeah. something from, you know, the uh, Monkey Tellers, uh, Monkey Tennis with Alan Partridge idea. I never, I've never, i never heard of such a programme, but it does sound like quality telly. Oh
3: no, it's brilliant. I've still got them all on VHS. Well,
0: I, I am going to so look on YouTube for these. Because the other thing that used to happen in the 70s was you'd occasionally be ill, and you'd really have to be ill to miss school. So you'd your mum would get you a bottle of Aid, and then you'd sit and watch daytime telly And there wasn't much but one of those programs we used to love when we were thrown up as you know 10 year olds was um, pebble mill at 1 and that was another one of your kind of moments of kind of stardom wasn't yeah, it yeah that
3: was another ambition actually you know when when you know not when i was growing up it wasn't but when things <laughs> I'd had a record out of something i used to think oh blimey I'd love to go on pebble mill at 1 and again, through that must have been through Warner Brothers, must have pulled some strings and paid someone a few quid to get me on it, you know. So that was a weird one.
0: But, yes, yeah. I know. That was, you know, again, you know, classic.
3: Stood there looking out the window thinking, blimey, you know.
0: I've made it. Well, I've wasn't made it, it, it. Every day, yeah. The, the 80s. Yeah, so there's
3: been...
0: I was going to say the 80s. It was no. full of opportunity, wasn't it?
3: Music. It was John Peel, without a doubt. You know, if a group
2: didn't have Peel's sort of backing, they'd get nowhere. Really.
0: Well, it was kind of weird because looking back, I I realised it was kind of there was the mainstream charts with you know that Trevor Horn sound or John Peel, which could be anything. But it was kind of fascinating and interesting. And, And you know, he introduced me to all those bands that. You know, I suppose I've still love and still have great fond memories from the Bundy Boys, the Gregory Isaacs, to you know the early Public Enemy, to you know the Smiths, and and everybody from you know um, yes, all the, all all those Welsh indie bands like um, which I can't remember now. But you know, he had a period of playing lots of Welsh indie bands, and so. It was, it was kind of an extraordinary period of music. But obviously you managed to get through the 80s doing your thing and then decided to do your Ziggy Stardust. So was that, was that kind of quite a deliberate moment?
3: What, to just pack it in?
0: Yes. Yeah, really,
3: yeah, it was. I just, I'm not, you know, I'm, in no way am I arrogant, but I just sort of got bored with it, really, and just thought, oh, what's the point? And I, I just fancied doing something else, you know, which is why I moved to America just to, And the idea was I was going to sort of try and do something there. But the reality of living in sort of Los Angeles without a car, you, um, you really can't do much at all. So um, I just ended up just having a good time and, you know, enjoying myself. That was the main thing.
0: Because many years later, um, Lemmy also, from Motorhead, he also went and lived in America and seemed to spend a lot of time at the Rainbow Bar. So, what was? How long did you spend in LA and in, in the states?
3: Oh, it's only about a year. Of, you know, just uh, working on building sites. Sort of. <laughs> I got a bit fed up doing that, so. Uh, yeah, I sort of
0: came home. Yes. And did it feel kind of strange having that break and also having sort of decided to ditch the stand-up?
3: No, not at all, no, no, no. no, no. I came back Well, I didn't have any intention of doing anything. And it was only, a, I, can't remember, I don't know how long, quite yes. Mm, no, I can't see the last. I was, saw a poster the other day and it had 2007 on it and I thought, no, way, that was only five years ago. But So the last, whatever that is, 12 years seems to have really shot by, you know. Yes. So I can't remember when I... I it was with the Nightingales again and Rob must have said, you know, how would you fancy it? And I just thought, yeah, why not, you know didn't plan on doing anything of the old, you know, I just wanted to basically get on stage and just start talking and see what happens. (laughs) And uh, and then of course you had fans who'd shout out for requests. So it all became, you know, there was, uh, you know, it was a good laugh, good interaction, you know, get me out of the house, that kind of
0: thing. And that is the third part of my interview with Ted Chippinton. Still one more bit to go, but to just break it up slightly and get the party rolling back with some more top tunes. This is another track by Ted which is going to be titled he says looking down having thought I'd got it all completely sorted. Anyway, this is feel like Buddy Holly.
1: the other day, meeting Alvin Stardust, and I saw him standing over in the distance. Thought I'd make my way over to see him. I got there. He was looking a bit sad. I said, what's wrong, Alvin? He said, well, I've been uh, waiting here all day, watching the planes come into land. I couldn't stand to see them land without you. I said, ah, well, I got here yesterday, Get the train here today To meet you, you know altered arrangements, But I'm here now No need to be sad He said to me I feel like Buddy Holly Teddy. I said, why is that Alvin? He said, well, it's uh, raining in my heart He said, ah, well, you know Shouldn't have been waiting outside for me You should have gone inside the cafe Have a cup of tea while you're waiting Only yourself to blame, I said to him and I said to him I know how Paul McCartney felt, actually, Alvin, when he got up to say, you know, that can't be bad. into the Heartbreak Hotel Alvin, you know, get yourself a game of solitaire, I'm sure you know how to play that, you know, not too hard to learn anyway, but uh, you know, good game to play when you're depressed, I said to him. good hotel to go to as well, he said, with a tear in his eye, I think I'll take your advice, said, and off he went, thought I'd follow him, for a good day's entertainment, I thought. Got to the hotel, sat in the bar He come up to me again He said, you know what Ted, I still feel like Buddy Holly I said, why's that helping? He said, well, I haven't got changed yet, you know Soaked through still, got a bit of rain in me heart still I he said, well, you know, that time you got up to your room, got yourself changed And I know how Paul Simon felt When he wrote that song, The Sound of Silence You know, nothing at all.
0: And that is obviously a vinyl copy of um ted chippington and i feel like buddy holly this is david Eastall, the c86 show if you want to contact me i'll just say it one more time in a slightly desperate way but anyway it is um facebook or twitter at c86 show and um, also if you want to hear any of the archives because you're thinking i must have a listen to that indie band from the 80s go to either Spotify. Um, iTunes, Mixcloud, or Podbean, again, C86 show. It's good there. Anyway, this is the last part of the interview with Ted. Um, I was really sort of grinding him down here. I think he wanted to go to bed, but I just wanted to keep talking. I know. Anyway, this is where I'd been talking about his celebrity friends, or people who um, would often name drop him. We're thinking, obviously, of Stuart Lee and those other people as well with... Long, shaggy hair. This is Ted's answer. Ted, how did you cope with those kind of celebrity stalkers? It must have been hard.
3: No, not at all, no, no. no. I mean, it's strange. My wife listens to um, Radio 4 Extra sometimes, you know. Like, she might be out in the garden, doing piddling about, and uh, have some old comedy programme on from 20 years ago, say. And all of a sudden, you've got Stuart sort of talking talking about me, and I thought, what? So at the time, I didn't know a- anything at all about that, you know. So. Um, yeah, it's quite strange when you hear these things and see little snippets of, you know, well, people sort of friends will say, oh, have you seen this off the internet? And, you know, just but at the time, I had no idea at all about these up and coming
0: comedians were sort of raving about me blessed people and it must have been one thing that I've noticed having spoken to a lot of bands especially those whose career was kind of you know, they did the John Peel. they did quite a lot of tour, touring and, and gigging and they did about five years and then they thought we've just had enough. But they kind of released a few singles here and an EP there and a flexi disc and then sort of 30 years and 30 years seems to be this passing of time. And then somebody, somebody from a record label in Germany or New York, Tiny, would sort of say, no, we want to compile a, you know, all that material and put it out as a CD and put a nice sleeve note and and everyone looked, you know, the band that feel a bit puzzled that like anybody would be interested but then think, actually, that's quite nice. So you also had a, a sort of a CD box set of your work um, put together as well by, you know, Robert Lloyd. So that, did that feel quite nice a feeling of archiving? Um,
3: well, I did that myself. I was in charge of that. I picked all the things that went on it um, and sort of, with the help of uh, chap called Simon sort of designed the, all the artwork and everything like that, so.
2: Yes.
3: Yeah, that wasn't, that wasn't someone else choosing what to do, that was. I was in charge of that, so. Yes. Yeah, so it wasn't quite the same as, I know what you mean, because I know a few groups who have had that sort of done. Yeah. Where some American labels wanted to get compilations together, but.
0: No, that wasn't quite the case with me. Oh, cool. Well no, I think I think part of it is the fact that, you know, it didn't with a band, you know, obviously there's a the dynamic and it didn't probably end that well and there's still feelings even decades later. But it takes somebody, you know, completely random person to come together and say, Oh, actually it'd be nice to put put all this together and and sort of release it and, and they'll and it'll be a nice way of kind of completing completing that kind of artistic musical journey I mean that's the other thing did you navigate because that's the one thing that tripped a lot of bands up publishing and ownership of their material did you manage to navigate those waters at all well or was it just a murky world of like Hunter S Thompson mentioned once about the uh, the thieves and halls of rock and roll yeah
3: well I mean I probably I imagine Warner Brothers would own my copyright I presume that's what I signed away, but uh, obviously then, you know, I will mean, be careful what I say, really, but I mean, I if I wanted to do something, I'd do it anyway. I wouldn't ask their permission. No. It doesn't make any odds to me, you know, so. But maybe <laughs> being in a group, it's different, I'm not
0: sure, you know. Well, I think it's just a complicated world, you know, and most and most people have just kind of let go of it, and, and if they're... They're kind of happy if they get a £60 cheque every other year, I think, and then try and do... Oh,
3: yeah, I've got... i never received a penny, ever. No. No.
0: Which is always the way. Well, so they've
3: obviously... They uh, lost out big time by signing me up there. So,
0: so.
3: You never know, one day, when I die, they might re-release everything. And someone, somewhere to make a lot of money. Yes.
0: And yeah. um, did you... I mean, you know, I mean... You know, when you look back, was was there any particular sort of high moments where you thought, "Wow, that was just amazing"? I know you mentioned, you know, Pebble Mill, which, but you know, sometimes people just had a sort of a surreal moment where they were just on stage and suddenly, you know, David Bowie was next to them and said, "Oh hi, I like your work." I just wondered if you ever had any of those kind of moments in the world of showbiz. Well, I've
3: chatted to Les Gray from Mud at urinal once yes uh, who else no I was, nah no. <laughs> oh well I suppose I became friends with Mark
2: Smith over the years or sort of things so. yes you know because
3: um, I can't think of anyone else who's well, he's probably the most famous uh, yeah no David Bowie incident
0: no. Oh, never mind. That's cool. But anyway, and you also obviously Robert Lloyd and the Nightingales, which always um, have have managed to sort of keep going like a Duracell bunny rabbit, really. Yeah, but
3: know that's because they're great and they're better than everyone else. You know, they are like all those groups from that era. They each year have got a whole new set. You know, they don't just do the you know, the favourite hits from 1985 or whatever, you know, they don't do any of that stuff. No. Whereas a lot of these sort of groups, I mean, I'm not blaming the groups here either because it's the group's fans want to hear that, whatever they were first famous for, isn't it, you know? Um, But to me, and I presume to Rob, that that is just the whole thing, just tedious, you know,
0: so. yes well I, I think yes I remember when I interviewed him he said that when they were coming to the art Centre in Norwich that they weren't going to play anything from that, that period it was just going to be the new material that they were going to put together so I suppose he, he had an idea that he wanted it to be a band that was still happening and not some sort of heritage act that was just kind of which of why I only like them really <laughs> I don't
3: really like any other groups because Well, they just sound the same, blah, blah, blah. Even though they might be all really nice blokes and all that kind of thing. But sort of artistically, it's, you know, you've got to just, I don't know, I keep saying it, you've just got to do your own thing regardless of what anyone
0: else thinks. Sure. Did you ever get sort of slightly caught up? You were mentioning politics a bit. Well, I did. You know, about, because during the 80s, there was the very big kind of red wedge kind of, kind of movement as well, and the SWP as well as things like TVP and Barley Cup. So did you ever get caught up in that kind of political kind of excitement that we, we sort of um got sort of animated by? No,
3: no, no, not at all. Like I just said, I sort of, I like to do my thing, you know, as long as I don't upset or hurt anyone else, then... I'll just carry on doing whatever I want, you know. So, that's, you know, mainstream politics, like you can see, is just continually the same old rubbish, you know, just nothing will ever change at any time. You know, the, this Corbyn thing, um, you know, the big massive upsurge last year of young kids getting involved, well, that's soon died a death, hasn't it, you know? <laughs> I think uh, a lot of those things are sort of... Because people think it's sort of trendy and it's the cool thing to be involved with and, of course, trendy and cool things soon die off and other so-called trendy and cool things come along, don't they? I
0: know. Hashtag, indeed. So are you working on any... all that rubbish. Hashtag, I know. No, I
3: don't do any... I haven't... uh, I'm a bit of a, that's why I didn't respond to you straight away with your email or that Facebook because I very rarely can be bothered (laughs) to use the computer. I've been hacked a couple of times and I just think I didn't have a computer before so I'm not, what's the big deal?
0: This is true, this is um, true. I
3: just don't bother and I haven't got a mobile phone. Um, I don't do Twitter or, you know, sort of, text things and all that whatever they yeah twitter's the main one isn't it where everyone likes to get the two pence worth
0: in. i know it's like you two know. it's like two barking dogs and now it's all instagram with sexy pictures of your um cakes and oh that's
3: the other one isn't it instagram yeah i have
0: Insta- no idea i wouldn't
3: go near that
0: no, no. so well are you working on anything at the moment or have any plans on the kind of kind of performing or right in front
3: Well, the truth is, I've been sort of let down a few times by certain characters, and uh, I just don't know if I've got the heart anymore. But if something interesting was offered, then I'd consider it, yeah. But, um, yeah, we'll see, you know. Yes. I think I've still got something to say, uh, which might... Be humorous to a handful of people but uh, there's nothing planned at the moment though.
0: and that is going to be the last part of my interview with the one and the only Ted Chippington a big thank you for giving me the time for that interview I have to say I was slightly well slightly you can imagine I was starstruck there but um a huge thank you this has been David Eastall this is the C86 show and I'll leave you with a selection of amusing stand-up bits from the one and only Ted Chippington. Ted, take it away. Ted
1: Chippington's me name. Here's a good joke, walking down the road the other day, drug addict comes up to me, he said, I'm addicted. I said, I you probably are, mate. Walking down the road the other day, character comes up to me. He said, I've just got back from Nam. I said, what do you mean, mate, Vietnam? He said, no, Cheltenham. Good place to go for the weekend, Cheltenham. Went there last week, had a good time. Walking down the road the other day, bloke comes up to me, said, I'm a tricky character. I said, I don't believe you. He said, oh, I tricked you. <laughs> Glad you appreciated that one. Here's another number. Driving down the road, this one's called, all about motorways. on now. That's right. Pretend you're a cowboy you can. A good story to tell, a bit of truth goes down well. I was driving down the road the other day, talking to me mate on the CB. I said, uh, you know, plenty of things to talk about. And he said, ah, good bit of weather we've been having recently. Not bad. Anyway, uh, couldn't think of anything else to say to him. So I didn't bother talking to him. Decided to talk to someone else instead. I was on the uh, CB and I said to this uh, bloke, said, uh, has anyone got the time out there? This bloke said, ah, 10-4. I said, I didn't realise it was nearly five past ten. He said, no, no, it's only three o'clock, four. I said, oh, I get what you mean. A bit confusing, you know. That's the end of that number. Thank you. Cheers. Quieting down, quieting down. Did you know, I've got a true story to tell you now. Two true stories, in fact. True story, watching the television the other day. Quieting down, interesting this is. Watching the television the other day. There was these uh, Chinese people. Chinese people over from China. And they were, uh, you know, at Longbridge, the car factory. And I'm sure you know the car factory, Longbridge, but uh, they were there on uh, one of these uh, visits, you know. And they come out of the meeting, they'd had a meeting all afternoon, and uh, they came out of the meeting. There was a Chinese bloke here, English bloke here, interpreter in the middle, you know, because the Chinese bloke couldn't speak English, and. Uh, english bloke couldn't speak chinese so uh had this interpreter and the chinese bloke piped up with something couldn't quite understand him you know but uh the interpreter he said to the blo- english bloke next to him he said uh, a good bit of weather we've been having recently really interesting eh? true story that one and uh, how about this for a true story did you know elvis presley quieting down interesting Elvis Presley's nickname Chief it's a true story that one Chief is what they used to call Elvis Presley here's another number close to your hearts this one I should imagine if I can remember what it's called Ah. here we go told me what to say I said she loves you and you know that can't be bad I said she loves you and you know that can't really be bad no she loves you join in you can she loves you she loves you I don't think she does anymore though She said, you hurt her so, she almost lost her mind, but now she said she knows, you're not the hurting kind, I said she loves you, and you know that can't be bad, I said she loves you, and you know that can't really be bad, no, send that one, Cheers. Good a bit of beer there I've had poured on me. Wouldn't have mind it in the mouth, though, next time, mate. Anyway, here's another joke. I haven't got any, mate, sorry. Anyway, I wouldn't say that if I was you. Tough character, me, you know. Sort you all out outside. Anyone wants a fire to go outside? I'll see you in the river. Well, I won't. I'll be on the boat myself. But uh, if you fancy jumping in the river for a fight, then there you go. A few fishes looking for a few fights tonight, you should imagine. I'll do another number anyway, because... Uh, Alvin Stardust wrote this one. A good bloke, Alvin. Hope you remember him. It's uh, a sad number, this one. nothing of it, though. But uh, Alvin Stardust happened to turn up on the scene. I said, what are you doing here, Alvin? He said, uh, i like to do a bit of plain spotting, Ted. I said, ah, can you imagine it's really interesting? He said, ah, it is. And he said to me, I feel like Buddy Holly, said actually. I said, do you, Alvin? He said, ah, it's raining in my heart. I said, well, you shouldn't have been lying on the ground in this bad weather we've been having recently. He said, "Ah, should have learnt a lesson there, I think. And I said to him, I know how Paul McCartney felt when he got up to say, and you know that can't be bad. Thank you. Went to uh, Glastonbury. Hey, quiet down. Topical joke, this one. Went to Glastonbury the other week, walking around the field. Saw this long-haired bloke sitting outside his wigwam. I said, how are you doing, Chief? Did this show the other night? Didn't go down very well, though. You know, nobody liked me. Plenty of booing going on. And I came off stage, and uh, walking backstage, and my mate said to me, How you feeling, Ted? I said, uh, like a horse, actually, mate. He said, like a horse? Champion, you mean? I said, no, sugar. Walking down the road the other day and uh, decided to get me hair cut, you know, walked into the barber's shop, sat down in the chair, said to the bloke, cut me hair round the back, mate. He said, well, what's wrong with this room? Couldn't argue with that. Ah, uh, saw this chicken crossing the road the other day. Walked up to it, said, good evening. Didn't speak to me though. Not very friendly, these chickens, are they? Walking down the road the other day, this uh, bloke pulled up alongside me in a modern motor car. He said, uh, excuse me, mate, I'm in a bit of a dilemma. I said, ah, good motor dilemmas." Used to have one myself, said to him. That's it anyway, thank you. Thank you very much indeed. (laughs) Cheers.